Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Dun, dun, dun. It's so epic, isn't it? I love it. It's awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Simple Church. My name's Aaron DeLong. I'm the lead pastor here. If it's your very first time here, you are our guest. We say welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to, if I haven't met you already, to shake your hand, say hi to you, make sure you got a t-shirt, and, uh, and make sure that you come back and, and hang out with us again. So today, we are starting a brand new series, and this is not a different kind of series. Normally, we, we pick a topic, and then we spend three or four weeks on it. We kind of beat the heck out of a subject, and we, and we, and we really, until we're tired with it, and, uh, and this, this series is going to be a little different, because we are going to, uh, to start it today, and then it's just going to continue on for the rest of our lives here at Simple Church, but what we'll do is we'll, we'll visit this every five or six weeks, and it's called Our Story, and uh, because stories are captivating, stories are what bring people to Jesus, and it's not just the stories that I share, it's your story. Your story has the ability, your testimony has the ability to bring people to Jesus in a unique way that my story never will. And so we want to celebrate those stories, and not only celebrate those stories, but we want to share those stories. I remember a few months back we got to share Mindy White's story and, and share her personal tragedy and how she turned that around and was using that and God was using that in her life to bless people. And so we're looking for stories like that. And so today, we are going to celebrate somebody's story. I have Truman Bailey, who is here today. I'll call you up in a little bit, Truman. First, I'm going to share some, share some of the word. And then Truman is going to share his story live right here. And, uh, oh, this is not working, is it? Oh, nope, can't hear it. Not on? Check one, two. Am I on now? Try again. It says it's on. You guys can hear me all right, though, right? Okay, everybody's happy. No idea what's going on there, but we'll, we'll figure that. Oh, I'm disconnected. That's what happened. Hey, wake up. Wake up. And are we good now? Or did I just blow all the speakers? Hey, there I am. I am so sorry. This thing sits on my hip, and when I sit down, it just it disconnects sometimes. So anyway, all right. Thank you guys back there. Give our sound crew a round of applause. They're awesome, aren't they? They deal with a, with a, a guy like me who just, like last week, you know, Buddy Watts was here, Legacy Church was here, and, uh, and we didn't get any of that message because I'm a bonehead and hit the wrong button on this thing. So, you know, I, I, I just love that my team is here and that they always keep me right. So thank you guys for doing that. Um, so we are going to be celebrating these stories, and we're going to do this throughout the rest of our lives here at Simple Church. And today, we, like I said, we'll celebrate Truman's story and part of that, and I'm excited he said yes to, uh, to doing that. Uh, and so... We will do that. If you have a story that you'd like to share, grab me. Let's get some coffee. Let's have dinner. Let's, let's talk about your story. Share it 
or fire an email off to info at simplechurchohio.com. Share your story that way. That always encourages me, and I will share that with other people, and then maybe we'll use it for a service, and you'll be our next story to share, okay? It's exciting times. It's good things. But today, uh, before I give Truman an opportunity to do that, I'm going to share a little bit about each one of your stories and relate a little bit to each one of your stories. And I'm talking real fast because I've got a lot to get through before we get to Truman, okay? And I still want to get everybody out here on time. You guys all appreciate that, right? Everybody appreciates getting out on time. So we're, we're going to do that today. So um, you ever have somewhere you like to go and, uh, and, you wanna, and, and you enjoy the destination, you enjoy the place that you're going to go, but you hate the journey? Anybody have that? My in-laws live in Kentucky. That's three and a half hours away from here. And while I enjoy going and hanging out at my in-laws, I'm one of those fortunate ones who enjoys being with his in-laws. I hate the journey. I hate it. Uh, there's something even more relative to you, maybe even more local to you, is the Walmart traffic down here. Trying to, oh, everybody knows. Trying to make a left from Taylor, Station, or Taylor Road onto 256 is ridiculous. It is 10 or 15 minutes to make a left-hand turn to go anywhere into Pickerington or to get to 70 or to do anything that I enjoy doing that direction. And so I avoid it at all costs. Even if it's in the middle of the day and I'm pretty sure traffic is not going to be bad, I will find a way around that area because I don't enjoy the journey. I'm impatient. Pastor Aaron, you're impatient? Yep. I hate traffic. I hate it. In fact, on any day that I see that there's a bunch of traffic, I break the law. I'm confessing. I drive right on through that traffic light, and I do a U-turn right there at Staples, and I come out the other side. I do it because I'm impatient. Chris is shaking his head. He knows what I'm talking about. He knows what I'm talking about. Any other offenders out there? We got some police officers in the room? Fantastic. None. We're good. Okay. Let's just hope they're not listening to the podcast because I just confessed. But I'm impatient. I don't enjoy the journey, right? And we all have things like that. Where Maybe it's not the journey that you don't like. Maybe it's the destination. Maybe it's where you're going that you don't enjoy. You don't enjoy the atmosphere there. Or maybe it's what you have to do with that destination that you don't enjoy. You're like, dude, I just don't want to go. You're dreading it. Maybe it's a poor experience. Like, for me, I have a poor experience at that traffic light. And anytime I have to head that direction, before I even get there, before I even see that it's bad, I got dread like welling up inside of me. My palms become sweaty. I'm instantly irritated at everything that's going on around that area. You can ask my wife. That is like one of the most tense areas for me. On my way to that direction, we will have more fights. I don't, somebody pulls out in front of me. I'm like, oh, I might forget that I'm a Christian. I'm just saying, it happens. <laughs> and I get so tense because I just dread that part. Say, Pastor, you're not perfect. No, I'm not. I'm not. And so I hate that place. And you all have something like that for you. It may not just be the Walmart traffic. Maybe it's, maybe it's going to your in-laws. Maybe it's the place you got to go or the people you got to see. Or maybe it's an ex that you got to deal with. Maybe it's somebody you have to, what you have to do when you get there. You have to play nice. You have to pretend like you're friends. You have to have dinner with them. You have to play a game or be a family. Oh, these things that we dread. Am I the only one? Okay, so I'm talking to you, right? And, but it's part of our journey. It's something that we have to go through. It's something that we have to do. And even though we don't enjoy these things, sometimes we, we have to do them. Sometimes they have nothing to do with us. And I want to tell you that if you're a Christian, because I'm not just going to poke fun at our lives. I'm going to bring it spiritual for a second. If you're a Christian, there's things you're going to go through in your life. There's things that you're going to have to do that are out of your control. There's places you're going to have to go. There's people you're going to have to encounter. There are things 
you're going to have to do and get your hands dirty and you're not going to like it. You're going to sit and you're going to have a pity party and go, God, why? You're going to look like Charlton Heston on the beach when he discovers the, the Statue of Liberty. Ah! You know what I'm saying? Nobody knows. Planet of the Apes? Okay. You're like, why? Why am I going through this right now? But I want to tell you, and this is what I want you to walk away with today, that if you are a Christian, that there is purpose in everything that you will encounter. Every bit of your journey, God will use for his glory and his purpose in your life. And if you know that you can walk through life and everything that you do with purpose, it makes it easier. Now, I wouldn't say that to you, and I wouldn't push you to this point without giving you an example. And our prime example for Christians is Jesus. So we're going to look to Jesus. And i got a lot of scripture to go through, and I apologize that we're going to read a lot of it today, but it's good, and I'm going to read it fast. So go here with me, okay? If you need a Bible today, just raise your hand. We've got Bibles. We would love to bless you with a Bible. We will give this to you. This is our gift to you. Please take it. Write your name in it. Write notes in it. Do whatever you'd like. We've given you a pen. You should have got a pen. Enjoy it. Be blessed. You can leave it here if you want to, but this is our gift for you. So we are going to be in John 4, and I'm going to skip around a little bit because uh, while all of the text is great for instruction and is good for teaching, I want to, to grab certain points. So we are in John 4. All of it will be up on the screen as well. Okay? So this is Jesus, and Jesus has just performed <clears throat> the, uh, the water into wine miracle at Cana. And then he encounters John the Baptist. He just gets baptized. And so Jesus, Jesus has, his ministry has been very, very limited up until this point. But Jesus is traveling with a pack of Jews, is what I'm telling you, okay? And so the verse begins in 3. It says, so he left Judea. Judea is south part of Israel. If you had a map, I could show you Judea is south, okay? And he went back once more to Galilee. And this is, this is the verse. Now he had to go through Samaria, Okay, you can't just read the Bible. You have to read the Bible. So let me break it down for you. Why is that important? Does anybody know? The Samaritans. We know, oh, the good Samaritan. This is the, this is the story Jesus told. It wasn't a real thing, but it was a story Jesus told. Those were good people. Eh, wrong. Wrong. They weren't necessarily. The Samaritans were a group of people who were a half-breed of Jews. They were mixed in with another tribe, and the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. To travel through Samaria would have been something that nobody wanted to do. That nobody wanted to go there. They didn't want to mix with them. They didn't want to talk with them. They didn't want to do business with them. Well, maybe they did that. But they didn't want to do anything with them. They wanted nothing to do with them. You ever ever, ever read or seen the Harry Potter movies? Anybody? In the Harry Potter movies, the wizards that married muggles, these are people that were non-magic and magical, just in the storyline. Go with me here, okay? It's not real. I get it. It's just a story. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but there were muggles, and then there were wizards. And when they married, they'd have children, and they called them mudbloods. And they were hated. They were considered half-breeds. And that hate, that same, that fierce, uh, just, they, they disliked them. It's the same. So if you've ever seen or read those, you know what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to take you someplace emotionally here. They hated them. And so for Jesus to have to go through Samaria, the verse said he had to go through Samaria. And so here Jesus is being obedient to the Father. This is my purpose for you. You've got to go through Samaria. Samaria represents a place he would not have wanted to go, 
of people he would not have wanted to associate with. Now, now, granted, he's Jesus. He's the Son of God. And there would have been love. And Jesus would have gone to any person at any time. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Jesus wouldn't have wanted to go. I mean, a Jew in general would not have wanted to go. And so here is a place he wouldn't want to go, people he wouldn't want to associate with, to do things he would not want to do. Okay? And God says, that's where you're going to have to go. And Jesus being obedient to the Father to the point of, man, not only do I have to go, because Jesus is a man just like us. He's God wrapped in an earth suit. He was tempted. He went through every little bit of the trials that we went through. And so Jesus has to be obedient. I got to go someplace. And not only that, but he has to take his mother, his brothers, his 12 disciples, and the rest of the gang that are following after him, right? He has to take them with him. Smack dab into the middle of the land of Samaria. And, and when you look at the map, Jesus would not have normally chosen to go through Samaria to get to Galilee, which is north. Samaria is in the middle. What runs along the east side of Israel is the Jordan River. Along the Jordan River is Jerusalem, Jericho, major metropolis, big cities where they would have less chance of getting jumped, robbed, beaten. They would have had food. They would have had supplies. They would at least would have had water. That would have been the main way to go, which would be to go around Samaria to get to Galilee. But again, an act of obedience. Now he's not going the way he thought he was going to go. The whole team is like, man, why don't we go that way? We know that route. We know people in those cities. We can probably bunk with them. Instead, they're going through a place they don't want to go. And as Christians, we have to do that sometimes. So let's jump back to the verse. So it says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. I love verses like these because they give us insight into who Jesus was. See, Jesus was God seated on the throne, and he left heaven and wrapped himself in a man suit, and came here and was born in a manger, and walked this earth, and Jesus can relate to us. It says Jesus was tired from the journey. He was exhausted. Let me tell you something, friends. When you have to go through a Samaria, that place you don't want to go, or do that thing you don't want to do, it's exhausting. It's physically, it's mentally, it's emotionally exhausting. Because you're dreading every moment of it. You don't want to be there. The journey is long. You're in unfamiliar territory. You're places you've never been or places you've been before that you don't want to go again. You're there. And we get to see the humanity of Jesus in verses like this because he was tired. He gets wore out like you and me. But here he goes on doing the will of the Father, going to Samaria. And here this journey was through lands that weren't necessarily familiar. Supplies would have been low, as they would not have been near major cities. They had no food either. Everyone in the group is now hangry. Does anybody know what hangry is? Hangry is when you're so hungry that you're angry. Like it's noon. It's real. It's a, it's a thing, okay? I get it. I become hangry around noon when I haven't eaten. So I carry a supply of food with me. So I don't get that way. But you can become hangry. It's noon. And what are the disciples doing? The next verse reveals what the disciples are doing. They're gone to get food because they don't have any. And Jesus is exhausted from the journey and he sits down by this well. Okay? And you have to imagine the scene for a minute. They're, they're upset. And in the heat of the day, Jesus needs this break. And so he sits down and sends everyone to get food. And the next verse is, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, which would have been startling to her, that a Jew was speaking to a Samaritan. Will you give me a drink? 
His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And here's something you need to know about the Samaritan woman. She wasn't liked very much. In a moment, we were going to read her mail. But this woman, notice she's coming to the well at noon. It's the hottest point of the day. Most of the women of that time would have come to the well in the cool of the morning to draw their water. I don't know if you know where Israel is, but it's in a hot part of the world. And to go and dip down into a well and draw it out and put a big jar of water on your shoulder or on your head, however she carried it, back and forth from the well to the city would have been a difficult thing to do at noon. She would have done what I don't like to do, and that's get sweaty. She would have been sweaty. Kelly Spicer knows what I'm talking about. Don't like to be sweaty. And she's out there, and she's, the reason she's going at noon is because she is an outcast. She's avoiding people. She doesn't want to associate with the other women because of her past or because of who she was. That's who she was. And Jesus is now speaking to not only a Samaritan woman, but an outcast of that society. Okay? <clears throat> and so she's coming for water at this hot point, And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Notice how she's taken back. Jesus just completely, he sees all the lines and all the barriers. He sees all the social barriers that are there. He knows that they're not supposed to be talking. And yet, in an act of love, he walks right through them. And she's completely taken off guard by this. Because not only is a man speaking to a woman, because you'll see later the disciples are surprised that he was talking to a woman. Not even a Samaritan, forget that. But not only is a man speaking to a woman, but he's talking to a Samaritan. Not only that, given the time of day that she came, she's an outcast. All of these would have been cultural things that everybody would have known. And she's completely taken back by this willingness to associate with those that were not like him. That were not supposed to be liked by him. They were supposed to be scourges of the society. And here Jesus is talking to them. Fellowshipping. Give me a drink. And so Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw. Let me break it down for you. Jesus is speaking of himself. And he begins to act on his purpose for coming through Samaria. He knows it. He's discovered it. He was looking for it. He didn't ignore her because he was having a pity party. He didn't ignore her because he was exhausted. He didn't ignore her. Yes, he was Jesus Christ, but he was tired. I don't know how often we see somebody that is hurting and is broken that we can reach out to and we go, but I'm so exhausted. Come on, I gave it to church on Sunday morning. Let them take care of it. I'm not going to take care of that. And yet, the purpose for you being in that place and being exhausted there in the first place is them. And Jesus sees her. And he grabs hold of his purpose and he begins to act on it. And it was all for her. It was all to share the love of God with her. So he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Well, duh. 
this guy just read your mail, right? Now listen to the scenario. He's letting her know in a gentle way, I know your sins. I know your dirt. I know your mistakes. I know what you've done. And yet I'm still crossing this barrier. Yet I'm still crossing the line of love with you. And I'm willing to share this living water with you. And she quickly changes the subject, right? She, she says, whoa, I can tell you're a prophet. And then the next few verses, she changes the subject. She doesn't want to talk about her sin. She's like, whoa, we're not going to hang out there. But Jesus lets her know, I, I know who you are. Now, the fact that she's had five husbands should let you know, and she's with a man right now, her sixth, who's not her husband, would let you know that she's probably very broken. She's broken. When you've been married five times, the common denominator is probably you, not the five people you divorced. I'm just saying, let's make an observation, right? I don't know her. I'm not judging her. But I'm just saying, she's probably very broken. And so she would have been an outcast. She maybe even broke up some relationships because of her. Maybe she was sexually, maybe she was promiscuous. We don't know. We don't know where her full story is, but we know that Jesus knows it and he doesn't care. He doesn't care about her sin. He cares about her heart. And he wants her to know that, hey, I know this. I know what you're going through. I know who you are. And I love you still. And this is still for you. And so they, they go on and they, they have a conversation. And to know someone's dirt and still love them is an amazing thing. And think about that. God knows our dirt. He knows the secret desires of our hearts. He knows the good ones and he knows the perverse ones. And yet he still loves us and praise God for that. And we were just like this Samaritan woman, right? Before we met Jesus. But just like this woman, someone showed us Jesus. They stepped into our lives. He didn't judge us. And he just open arms loved us and forgave us. And said, I don't care what you've done. From this point on, you can be different. Right? All of us were like the Samaritan woman. And we in turn responded with love and accepted Jesus' free gift of salvation and forgiveness. And some of you here today, some of you here today are still the Samaritan woman. You haven't turned your lives over to Christ yet. You're broken. You've made some bad decisions. Your life has been filled with regret. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you've been a good person, but you just feel empty. You feel like you're missing it. Today, you're still the Samaritan woman, but guess what? By the end of the service today, you can meet Jesus. You can be accepted. You can know his love because he doesn't care what you've done. Today can be your day that it all changes. Wouldn't that be amazing? And so the next few verses, like I said, she changes the subject, and so I'm going to skip them, but I want to pick up in 25, and it said, The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I'm he. And just then his disciples returned, and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? It's probably smarter, the disciples. <laughs> probably. And, uh, and so they're surprised. They don't say anything. The master's at work and they're just learning. They're watching. They're seeing. They're witnessing. These are bystanders who are witnessing and are changed because of an act of love. From a Jew to a Samaritan. From Jesus to a broken woman. They're learning what Jesus is all about. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now here comes the bigger picture, right? 
This woman runs back to town to tell everybody about Jesus. She's met him. She's been accepted. She's received him as the Messiah and as the Christ. And she's run back to do what? To testify. To share. Here's a guy who told me everything I ever did. And he accepts me. And he loves me. And his act of love and her testimony brings people to Jesus. Oh, that's powerful. She shared her story, which is what today is all about. Sharing your story. Because your story brings people to Jesus. And that's exactly what this was all about. People come to Jesus when you testify. When you share what God has done for you, God draws them in. But you have to be willing to share, to speak up. And who did she go to? She went to the people who probably would have known her best. She went to people who knew she was the scourge of society. She went back to her own town. The people that she was avoiding by coming to the well at noon, she went right back to them and said, look at this, I'm changed. I'm accepted. I'm loved. And she testifies. And if Jesus could save her, well, maybe Jesus could save them as well. The Messiah, the one they were looking for, was here. So back in the verse, it says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have, to, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Remember Jesus? So I'm talking about two people here. I'm talking about believers and non-believers. Jesus is the, is, is the, represents our believers. He represents us. He's our example. Remember I said Jesus was tired? Jesus was exhausted. He was sitting by a well. Listen to what Jesus says. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, because they're not that bright, could someone have brought him food? (laughs) My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What is Jesus saying? What is he saying? All of a sudden, Jesus is energized. Why? Because he's accomplishing the purpose in John 4.4. Now he had to go through Samaria. He's discovered the purpose and he's, I understand Jesus is God and he probably knows, but go with me here. He is acting on this very purpose of going to the place he didn't want to go, associating with people he shouldn't have been associating with. He has found his purpose and when he fulfills that purpose, he says, I have food, supply, sustenance, strength that you know nothing about. And Jesus is now energized regardless of the fact that a moment ago he was exhausted. Why? Because while the journey was exhausted in getting there, he's fulfilling his purpose. He's leading people into salvation. He's preaching the gospel. And what I want to tell you is that just like Jesus, you're going to go through your Samaria. And there is a purpose in your Samaria. You're going to walk through it questioning. Most of us are having a pity party and screaming and crying fussing the whole way, dreading the trip into Samaria, dreading what we have to do in Samaria. But if you just accept the fact that the Bible says that all things work to the good of those who serve Him. It also says in Philippians, to rejoice always. And again I say, rejoice 
always means all times. It means right now. That means later on today. That means tonight. That means when you get the bad news or you get that phone call or your child is sick or your, your loved one is dying. When you are broke, there's no money in the bank or you lose your job or your boss sends you to do something you don't want to do or a, you find out your brother's doing things that he ought not be doing. When you get that call, when you walk through, you can know, I can do this. You can be energized because there is purpose in everything that I will experience. And when I start feeling like that, when I start feeling like I'm overwhelmed and I start going, oh my God, what am I doing here? This is not where I want to be, Lord. And I don't mean because I sinned. I just mean that I'm walking my life. And I wind up in a place I don't want to be and I'm not comfortable. I get excited because it means God's in it somewhere. And I find energy and I find the strength to move forward. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to rejoice. In all things, all the time. Because there's purpose in it. There's someone that God will use your pain to bless. Or it may even be you that God will use to bless through your pain. God will not waste an ounce of your pain. The song that we sang today was so appropriate because nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Mindy, look at how many people you and Doug get to bless on a regular basis I know what happened was difficult for you and your family, and it still is. It hurts to this day, but nothing is wasted. She gets to bless people out of that. Pain. You need to talk to Mindy. You need to know Mindy and Doug's story. It's amazing what God has done. Nothing that you go through is wasted. So I want to encourage you today to rejoice. Here's my challenge to you. This week, to rejoice when you have to do something or go somewhere you don't want to go. Rejoice. God has purpose in it. Is there anything greater for you to do than to serve God's purposes? Is there? To be a blessing to someone? Is there anything greater? So do that this week. Allow it to fuel you. Allow it to re-energize you. I know that it's going to be difficult and your brain is going to be, hey, this sucks. Yes, it does. But you need to talk to yourself. Be like, you know what? My word says everything will be used for the good of those who serve him. Everything. And when you remind yourself of what the Bible says, faith starts to well up inside of you and you find energy and you find strength for the next day and to face that Samaria. But the best part of this story of the Samaritan woman that isn't even told yet you ready for it? And the best part of your story hasn't been told yet. There are some of you that are in broken relationships. There are some of you in a dead-end job. There are some of you that are broke, period, right now. But the best part of your story hasn't been told yet. Let me finish the best part of this story because this is the bigger picture. This is why Jesus went through Samaria because we assumed it was for the Samaritan woman. And yes, it was. What's the bigger picture? Verses, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, because she shared her story. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world.
to those of you going through something that you don't understand, hold on. Rejoice. Kick the enemy in the teeth. And remind him, you know what? There's purpose in this. You say, well, that's just positive thinking. No, it's not. It's the truth. It's not positively thinking your way through it. The Word says that all things will work to your good. And that means all things. Even the worst thing you can imagine will be used for God's purposes and not just for yours. You'll go through Samaria for a person. But you don't know what that one person that you touch will do because this woman, her testimony saved an entire town and brought them all to Jesus. How amazing would it be if we were to respond to our trials, to our difficulties with joy and we face them with the energy of there is purpose in this somewhere. I don't like it. I don't want to go. But there's purpose. I'm going to call Truman up here because Truman's going to share his story today. And Truman and I both believe that there is somebody here today that needs to hear his story. Because Truman's story is probably your story. I also need a microphone for him. We, we use this one right here? Is it on? Do I press and hold it to do it? Check one. Nope. There. I believe we're on. There you go, sir. Thank you. <coughs> you nervous? Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Hand sweating, you know. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for coming up and sharing today and sharing your story. Um, I, I know that, that coming up and saying, well, this is my life and these are my mistakes, it's difficult. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not. And, um, and so let me, let, me, let me tell you about Truman. I met Truman uh, October. It was October. Early October. And, uh, and Truman came to a service that was really intended for him. In fact, we, 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 when in talking to Truman and even Donna, we said, you know, I did a sermon called The Walking Dead. And The Walking Dead in and of itself is a TV show that has importance in his life and was part of another part of his story. We're not going to go there today, but it was another part of your story. It was something that he was struggling with. And I wasn't supposed to preach The Walking Dead that day. In fact, that was scheduled for several weeks later. You can ask my staff. When I said, oh, we're doing Walking Dead this Sunday, it was like, what? Wait, what? That's not scheduled for a couple weeks. And I said, nope, we're, do- we're doing it. And I felt like we needed to do it. And it was because that day, the message was, was for you. Yeah, that's what I prayed for. I, I, I prayed for, let this message sound like it was for me. And you'd never been to Simple Church. You'd never met me. No, JJ invited me. JJ invited you. And so you came and you heard. And what did you tell me afterwards? I, I told you what I just said, that I prayed for, I prayed for a message to be just for me and I get here and what do you know God that quick answers my prayers yeah. and put kicks like you said should we turn it off guys I don't want to distract hold it up to your mouth alright he kicks me in the teeth with the message yeah he'll do that sometimes yeah he'll do that sometimes well uh, do this why don't we start from the top and, and share your story uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up that kind of stuff well, uh, I'm from a small town in Georgia. It's called Newton. There's probably about 500 people there. Uh, when I was born, I, I didn't go to church when I was tall. I went to church when I was long. I started going to church at two weeks old. My mom had me. Two weeks later, she decided she wanted to party. 
left me with my nanny and papa, and they go to an Assembly of God church in Newton. Well, I started there till about probably five years old. Mom, nanny prim- primarily took care of you yeah. at that point in your life, right? Yeah, she was my everything at that point in my life. What were your parents doing at this point? Um, Mom was an alcoholic. Dad was an alcoholic. He uh, sold drugs. He wasn't a user. He was just addicted to that fast money. That was his primary purpose in his life. Uh, They would fight, argue, physical fights, not just verbal. I'd be in the middle, and like I said, most of the time with Nanny, I'd be in the fight. They'd drop me off. They'd go out and party and get wasted and do whatever they do. Well, at about five, they were done with Newton. They moved to a little town called Big Sandy, Tennessee. Which means you're no longer with Nanny. Yeah, no longer with Nanny. No longer going to church. No spiritual influence in your life. Nothing. Just uh, watching mom and dad and learning from their examples as any child does. Um, we grew up. Their fights got worse. Um, at about... I'd say probably third grade, I discovered that my dad was selling drugs. I found his his stash. Well, mom threw a fit. She divorced my father. That was almost immediate, right? That was like within weeks. It was done. You're yeah. gone. and Done done quick. And dad moved out. He let mom keep the house, the land, the cars. He moved out and started over. It's not like he didn't have the money. But he didn't repent from what he was doing. He didn't change his life. No, he, he continued. Kept, yeah, he kept going. Um, well, we live there, um, back and forth, mom's the dad, mom the dad, um, mom's in abusive relationships, she finally packs up and leaves the house, leaves everything, we move back to Ohio, dad stays in Tennessee. Um, This is back to nanny as well, right? To to some time with nanny as well? No, No. she's in Georgia. Oh, she was in Georgia, Okay. To Ohio with Grant, with my my real grandmother, my blood grandmother. Got it. And um, there, I'm just more farther separated from God, learning from the influences that I've watched my whole life. Uh, and at some point in time, you begin using yourself. Yeah, at about 13, I'm, I'm going down to my dad's every summer to see him. At 13 years old, I'm thirsty, I'm going through the fridge, nothing to drink, don't want no tea. In the back... There's a white grape juice jar. Pop the top on the grape juice jar, pour me a cup, not paying any attention, coming outside from playing, take a big swig. Well, it was moonshine in that white grape juice jar. So instantly, one shot, I'm intoxicated, and I loved it. I kept drinking all summer with my dad. I got... And this is 13 years old. 13 years old. I would slowly drink shots of moonshine, fill the jar back up with water. Um, I get back up to mom's in Ohio. We're staying in Pal, and I continue that same revolving circle. At 16, I find marijuana. I start smoking. I realize from dad's example, well, it's if I want to smoke, I can smoke for free if I just sell. So I sell too. Um, about nine years down the road. I get incarcerated. You got caught. You got caught for selling, and you get incarcerated. I get sent to jail. Me personally, I've I've learned to call this Chuck's Prayer. 
God, if you just get me out of this, I'll never do it again. <laughs> well, he did. He saved me. He sent me to a... I spent about four months in jail and CRC, and then he sent me to a little boot camp program that was 90 days, and I go home. Well, I stay faithful through my parole, refuse to change my friends, and within six, eight months of getting out, I'm right back into drugs. So a life you had abandoned, you gave your heart to Christ because God got you out of the situation. You didn't change your friends. You come home, you're back into the same old thing. Yeah, right, right back. And this time it's worse. I, I go harder. Instead of just selling weed, now I'm selling cocaine, I'm selling pills, ecstasy, whatever. Addicted to that, that money and that high. Well, You wind up getting caught again, incarcerated again. Right? Yeah, I get caught again. This time, it's not a short stay. Um, I end up at the end of the incarceration in a place in Marysville called West Central. Um, there, six days a week, they have church. And I'm at almost every Bible study, rededicating my life to God. Um, but at first, I'm nervous. I'm like, man, I've, I've messed up so bad. God knows with the drugs I was selling, what families I've hurt. It, even somebody overdosed, I'm responsible for that because I sold these people those drugs that killed them. I'm, I'm past forgiveness. There, there's no forgiving what I've done. And this is what you're telling yourself, right? That's, that's how I feel. I hear the salvation call. I, I hear God knocking at the door, and I'm like, no, no, go, go away. Get, abandon me. I'm, I'm too far gone. And... Finally, um, Rock Powers, he's from the uh, Marysville Nazarene Church. He comes in and we do a Bible study on forgiveness on people that were too far gone, like Paul. And that's why Paul's my favorite person out of the Bible. He killed Christians. And he wrote most of what we read today out of the Gospels. And that message kind of got me, got, it got my hand on the handle. I didn't open the door, but it got my hand on the handle. I was scared to stand up in front of the group at West Central and get saved. I wanted to, I wanted to be a closet Christian. Well, a few weeks later, where I'm at another Bible study with a man named Dave Roush, and he pulls people back. If you want to be saved, stay after and talk to him. It was June seventeenth, two thousand thirteen. I stopped. I I talked to Dave, and. I got saved that day, and he told me this, and I remember it every time I think about why I start getting going through trouble. So I, there's two things that are promised with salvation, eternal life and persecution. Mm-hmm. You will suffer as Jesus suffered. Mm-hmm. You'll have to go through your Samarias. Yeah, you have to go through your Samarias, and you got to smile. you got to keep your head forward and just push, mm-hmm. no matter how bad it hurts you got to think of the other people that could be influenced, like you say, through this story. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. Within a few days, I get in trouble with West Central. I get rode up, spend seven days in a yellow shirt with the people in here that have been to West Central know that's you, a book, and your job, and that's it. You can't do nothing. All privileges revoked. Yeah, all privileges revoked. Um. <laughs> I get out of West Central, I graduate fully, do everything I can while I'm in there. I get out, while I'm in there, I hear about summer rays. 
And Summer Rays is a recovery program here in Reynoldsburg, and, uh, and that's how you connected. That's how I connected with Simple Church. Yeah. Chuck got me a job working with JJ, working with JJ a couple weeks. He invites me to Simple Church, and well, you already told the story. Yeah, he's been here ever since, right? And you, when when that also at that service, he compared um, communion. He's like, for you guys that don't know communion, communion is like tipping a forty for Jesus. It's in memory of. We need to explain that, Truman. (laughs) Tipping a 40 is is tipping a 40 for your homies in memory of them. We pour a little bit of our drink out. Right there, I'm like, I'm at home. This is where I belong. It's it's not a purely deep theological church where he gets too confused for a simple mind to understand. The message is always simple, and it's always a really good message. And this is home. It's not just a church that I come to. This is home. And I, even since I've been here, I've tried other churches. I went to Donna's church. I went to, uh, it's a place We, we don't have to name them. We don't have to name them. It's okay. We don't have to name them. <laughs> we just went to other churches, right? Okay, yeah. we just leave it. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the one, I, I ain't even going to lie, I got there and I felt out of place. And I even liked the pastors at these other churches, but I still felt out of place. I know this is where I belong. What's changed for you since you've connected with Christ, given your life completely to him, sold out, all in, connected with a local church? How's your life been different? I mean, now um, I'm used to dealing with my problems by going out and getting high or whatever. Now is, hate to keep using recovery terms, but I'm dealing with life on life's terms. I face a problem. I can't just turn around like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go get high, forget this. Now i got to face it head on, and it's not easy. Being a Christian is not easy. It's, it's really easy to live a life of sin. It's really easy because you push that conscience in the back and do whatever the heck you want. Well, now it's, it's hard, but the rewards are outstanding. I mean, the things I have now, I have... I'm working on getting my kids back. My kids are in children's services. Um, I just celebrated a year clean, which I've never had in my life before. And we're going to stop right there, and we're going to applaud that, because that is amazing. Um, Mine and Donna's relationship is great. We used to fight and argue over stupid stuff. Now... I really can't remember the last time we really got in a fight. It was while we were using. We have little arguments, don't get me wrong, but a true fight. Um, Heck, just last night at midnight, Chuck called and kicked me out of the program. Over, he thinks I'm trying to be secretive from him. Donna's having another baby. And we just found out two days ago I hadn't told Chuck yet. Somebody else told Chuck before I did I was going to tell him on Tuesday. But uh, I'm looking this problem head on, straight in the face. And if God doesn't want me in summer rays, I have to look at it like, put me where you want me. This is your Samaria. Yeah, this is, uh, and I got to look at it. I got to smile and I got to walk through it. I have to look for the good. Are you putting a smile on your face just to have one out there? Or is there something different in your heart about going through this? I know there's going to be a reward at the end, regardless of what it is, how long it takes to get there, 
whatever it is, it's going to be better than where I'm at now. Like, I kind of feel, I, I talked to you about it, and I talked to JJ about it last night. He was the first person I called. Like, I don't think I'm going to make it to church tomorrow. i got to pack my stuff so I can get out in the morning. And it's already midnight. It took me to almost 2 in the morning to pack. And JJ's like, if you don't make it, we'll understand. It'll be okay. But do what's in your heart. I laid there for a little bit, and I thought, and I'm like, this is the enemy. He doesn't want me to get my testimony out there. That's right. So, you know what? I'm going to be there. I am the plan for today. This is what God has in his heart for me to do today. I'm going to be there. And I'm here, and I just, I hope this message is, there's somebody here that needed to hear it. There's somebody here that needed to hear this message. The devil didn't want it to get here. I'm here, and it's, I'm giving it to you. I just want you. If there's anything you had to say to them, you got two minutes. What would you tell them? What would you say to them? And then we're going to close and pray. Well, all my life, I've I've felt empty. I've I've just had an emptiness inside of me. I've I've tried to fill it with multiple things: addiction, drugs, girls. Everybody has that hole, and everybody fills it differently, no matter what it is. That hole is something that Rock always called a God hole. Until you put God in that spot, no matter how big, you can put the world in that spot and you're still going to feel empty. You're still going to feel lost. You're still going to feel like you're missing something. Until you fill that hole with God, it, it, nothing's going to work out. You're, you're going to feel happy for a little while. You're going to feel good. But eventually, it, it's, you're going to find out that that's not right. That's not what was supposed to be there. That's not what you really wanted there. That's not what he wanted there. Ever since I've been saved, that hole's not empty. I feel, I feel loved. I have real friends now. I had friends when I was using that were there for the money or there because I had drugs or just <coughs> there to be there. They'd come up and ask you how you're doing. You say, oh, I'm having a pretty crappy day. They're like, oh, all right, bye. Now when I say, man, I'm broke, I hurt today, Something, something's up, I got friends that will come up, wrap their arm around me and say, what's wrong, bro, you want to talk about it? What's really going on? And they actually care. I've never had nothing like that in my life. And this is all thanks to God. I mean, all the glory be to Him. Amen. I just, I ask for y'all, if you have this feeling that I had, if you have that empty spot, man, take take God and put Him in there. You'll, you'll never feel empty again. You'll never feel alone again. I promise. Man. You you gotta have him, or else, really, you serve no purpose. You have to have God. Truman, we appreciate you sharing your story today. Everybody, give him a round of applause. I, I know. I know that your your personal story it's difficult to share. And Truman told me before he said I was nervous. I didn't sleep well last night. <laughs> hands are all sweaty right now and it has to be difficult so I've never gotten up and shared my story but we appreciate you doing that today and I, I would like to ask you to close us in prayer today and uh, if you all would just bow your head close your eyes Truman's going to close us out in prayer God thank you for the strength to get, get up here in front of these people and share my story um, if there's just one person out there that really needed to hear this please speak to them pull on them heartstrings just let them know that you're there. Let them know that you love them. Let them know that you're, you'll wait. You're, 
you're gonna wait no matter what. But they gotta open the door. The knob is on the inside. You gotta turn the lock. You gotta open the door. You gotta let him in. Um, thanks. For, thank you for Simple Church. This this place has became a home, and it's given me more friends than I can ever imagine. Um, and with, with that, I close. Amen. Amen. If you want to receive prayer for anything, Truman's going to be back at the back of the room.